0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimier Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, guymerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. It comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, and I'm reading from the NIV version. Hebrews 2, starting at 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted so I hope you didn't find someone sitting in your seat When you came this morning, Uh, I know that uh, Janet and Dave catch up every year at this service. They sit in the same seats uh, at the 8.30 and 10.30 service all year long, and this is the one Sunday that they get to chat with each other, so maybe that's your encounter this morning as well. Because we are creatures of habit, aren't we? Uh, But it's good to have you here this morning, uh, celebrating or beginning to celebrate Christmas or finishing the weekend and starting Christmas. I'm not sure exactly what Christmas Eve morning means at that level. Uh, But nonetheless, I'm glad that you're here this morning with us. These are pretty anxious times though, aren't they? Uh, it's pretty easy to be anxious. I'm not just talking about Christmas. Uh, Christmas is anxious in and of itself, but uh, Christmas is just one example of our anxiety. Uh, our, our, our time and our age is an anxious one, isn't it? There seems to be no end of things that we are fearful of, anxious about, concerned for, worried about. Uh, this is an anxious period of time, which is why we've chosen the end of fear uh, as our theme for December. Uh, Because as people, we need to figure out what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus. What difference does he make to the fears that we hold? And so over the course of December, we've been examining and trying to explore some of the sources of our corporate anxiety and the difference that Jesus then makes. And we've looked at a variety of them. And this morning, I thought, as seeing as it's the last shopping day before Christmas, we'd examine the anxiety that comes from shopping. (laughs) Uh, because Christmas, of course, is this little microcosm, or right? kind of a, a, a representative of what we experience every, every, every single day of our lives, isn't it? Uh, how many of you have experienced anxiety shopping this Christmas? Any, any of you? A few? No, not nearly as many of you. The rest of you are not telling the truth, right? <laughs> <clears throat> because, because shopping at Christmas is really stressful. Now, I've learned, I, I, my, my strategy is to let my wife be stressed, <laughs> right? which adds its own stress to everyone's life. But nonetheless, shopping's stressful. We went out the other day, my wife and I, and we went shopping for what we needed to get. And the stress starts as soon as you get into the parking lot, doesn't it? That's when the stress begins. And then you get inside the shops, and you've got your three lists, don't you? You've got your list of, of things you're looking for, You've got your list of how much money you're hoping to spend. And then you've got a list of people that you don't know what you're going to buy anything for yet, but you need to buy something for them by the end of the day. And the longer you are at the shop, the more stressful it all becomes because you just can't find that thing that they need, right? And then, of course, there's the whole concept of, will they like what I've gotten them? And, and all of these sorts of things. And, and, and then you wonder, am I, is this just contributing to landfill? Really? Am I going to give something that ends up either immediately in the landfill or at Vinny's? Is it going to be re-gifted in uh, three, six, seven months? Uh, is it just going to live in a bottom drawer until it accidentally gets lost at our next move? Uh, these are the sorts of things that we experience. And I think our anxiety about, uh, about being shoppers at Christmas is exactly our, our kind of our anxiety over the course of the whole year. Because essentially, I think what what ends up happening for us is something that psychologists call self-objectification. Now, self-objectification is essentially, as I understand it, when we begin to treat ourselves the way other people view us. So think about objectification. It's a word that we hear fairly frequently in in our context, usually in relationship to gender right? So women in our culture are generally held up to be objects to be looked at, right? And therefore, women are judged on how they look. Self-objectification is when women begin to see themselves as objects. And so they begin to criticize themselves about how they look, trying to live up to some sort of ideal that society has given to them. You follow me on this? Right, So we begin to take on the traits. We begin to believe what people tell us about ourselves, and we begin to judge ourselves on that basis. But it's not just gender where this happens. It actually, I think, also happens in consumerism. Because what does our society tell us? Our society tells us in a thousand different ways that we are consumers. It reduces our entire lives to consuming things. To buying things. Uh, capitalism reduces everything that we know uh, into some sort of commodity. Things only have value if they have a dollar value. I mean, so let me give you an example. You've perhaps seen some of these studies where uh, scholars and econo- economists and others have tried to work out the monetary value, the dollar value of a stay-at-home mom or dad. Have you seen those studies? Even if you haven't kind of read them and remembered them, you've seen them. That is such a consumerist thing to do, isn't it? Because we know how valuable it is to have a stay-at-home mom or dad. Because we all know, whether you've got one working member of the house or two, how much work goes into keeping a household going, right? If you have two people who are working, laundry still needs to get done, bills still need to get paid, the household chores still need to happen. We know the value of it but it doesn't seem like it matters until we can put a number to it. Once we put a number to it, we feel a whole lot better, don't we? This is our experience as shoppers. This is our experience as consumers. And I think we end up with this anxiety that comes from this this sense that the best I can do is to shop, That my highest form of humanity is buying things and consuming them. It's as good as it gets. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Ecclesiastes. It starts with meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, and kind of goes downhill from there, right? There's a bit of a bright spot at the end, albeit, but at any rate. A couple of times throughout the book, though, the author, in the midst of his griping about how meaningless things are, says that there's a few things we can do. And on a number of occasions, he says, the best that we can do, the best we can do is to eat and drink and enjoy whatever we can in this miserable, meaningless life that we have, right? As I said, it's a cheery, cheery book, right? As consumers, we can sometimes, I think, be left with that same sense, that the best we can do, the best we can do, that the most we can do is... Find some sort of value in the things that we buy, in the things that we purchase, in the things that we consume. Now, I don't want this to be some sort of Marxist rant against faceless corporations, but I think it's important to realize what we already know, right? You know when you're on your computer and you go to a web page and they've got the ads on the side? And over time, those ads change because they're personalized, because someone is sitting in an office somewhere watching what you're doing. And they're sitting there thinking about my family. And they're saying, you know, from what I know of the Raiders, I think that these ads would be really helpful for them. Isn't that how it works? No, it's some sort of, like, faceless algorithm, isn't it? And it's creepy. It is creepy. Right? I can tell what packages are coming to my house from my family. Based on the ads that pop up on the NHL website. <laughs> hmm, Because someone who loves hockey also needs a new dress. <laughs> wow, so personalized. I feel loved and cared for. I really do. Everything gets commodified in a consumer culture, doesn't it? Everything. Remember those MasterCard ads? Very, very clever. Hotel room, such and such a dollar value. Dinner out, such and such a value. A dozen roses, such and such a value. A romantic evening with your wife, priceless. <laughs> oh, wasn't that clever? Because what it suggested was, as a tagline, for there are some things money can't buy, but for everything else, there's MasterCard. But what did they do? They took these experiences that money can't buy and put a money value to them. All you need to have this is buy these three things. And then you'll have a priceless experience through MasterCard. Isn't that wonderful? We, We experience it all the time, don't we? Even our emotions are commodified. So what's the tagline at Christmas we hear? Show them how much you care. So the gift that I give to you is a physical representation of my love. And then I wonder why I'm so anxious when I'm looking for your present. Because if I get this wrong, you're going to think I don't love you. Or that I don't love you very much. Or that my love for you is kind of like a sale item. (laughs) It was very expensive, but I got the bargain. (laughs) I love you a lot, but I love saving money more. Do you see why we get so anxious about this stuff? And we know this, don't we? We know this. We know it, we know it, we know it. And yet, what do we end up doing? Like lab rats and Pavlovian dogs that drool at the sound of a bell, we are out there buying. And it's not just at Christmas, is it? It's all the time. Now, you know, there are, of course, uh, you know, some, some uh, significant implications for our humanity. Because everything gets a dollar value, and therefore life eventually gets a dollar value associated with it. And you can end up then, of course, fearing that you are only worth what you are worth. That your only value is found in how much you possess or own. And and, and no one ever says it that way. I've never met anyone who says, you know what? I am worth a lot because I have a really expensive house. Yes, I am. I've never seen anyone get out of a really fancy car and say, see my fancy car? That's how fancy I am. (laughs) But we, it it just sits underneath everything that we do, doesn't it? It sits under everything we do. This is retail therapy at its greatest, isn't it? And as an aside, retail therapy is a term first appeared in a 1986 article in the Chicago Tribune on Christmas Eve where Mary Schmidt said this, with a nod to T.S. Eliot, we become a nation measuring out our lives in shopping bags and nursing our psychic illness through retail therapy. We measure our lives in shopping bags. We're a fairly anxious society. And spending more and more to buy more and more things that we may or may not need is one way of dealing with it, right? It's the most common way of dealing with it. Uh, there's also, though, movements of minimalism and simple lifestyles that are kind of trying to get some traction. They don't get a lot of traction, but that's another way forward. But for us as believers, we'd have to say that, that we, need to, we need to come to grips with what difference Jesus makes, right? We can't just say, oh, yeah, we're really anxious because of the underlying meaninglessness of our consumer culture, so we should just live simply. You don't need to have a faith to live simply. Uh, Jesus doesn't make a difference to someone who has no faith and lives simply. So what difference does Jesus make? But before I have a, have a, have a look at that, I actually need to take one, one, one more step. And that is to talk just again briefly about objectification or commodification, when things are made to be objects or people are considered objects, and how you overcome that gap. Have you ever, uh, in, in your shopping, perhaps over Christmas or perhaps before, have you ever had like a really great salesperson, and here's here's what they do, they actually seem to care about you. (laughs) Have you had that experience? It's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, 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 hi, good to have you here. Who are you shopping for? Oh, your wife. What sort of things does your wife like? Oh, hang on. Comes back with three things, and not the thing that they're flogging in the front window not the thing that's on sale, you just kind of, there's a sense that you, you actually care that I get this right, because I'm trying to show my wife how much I love her and if I get this wrong. Have you ever had that experience? You know what that is? You know what that experience is? It's not just good sales tactics, it's in a small way, empathy. Empathy closes the distance that is created by objectification. If I objectify someone, think about racism, right? How's that for a light topic on Christmas Eve morning? (laughs) Racism is founded in part on this ability to objectify the other, right? You know, one of the things that overcomes that distance is actually getting to know somebody who you normally would have prejudiced feelings for. Isn't that incredibly powerful? What does it do? All of a sudden, you experience things from their point of view. All of a sudden, you understand what they go through. And all of a sudden, the distance gets closed through empathy. You might be familiar with the name Brené Brown. She is uh, the research professor at the University of Houston. Her TED Talk on vulnerability is one of the most popular TED talks of all time. She has studied uh, extensively and written extensively on vulnerability, shame, uh, courage, and empathy. She talks about empathy in this short little YouTube clip. She, she defines it with four different characteristics. That empathy is perspective taking, non judgmental, recognizing the emotions of others, and communicating such. Right? Perspective taking, kind of walking in their shoes, actually kind of hearing things from their perspective without judging, without saying that they're right or wrong, or the situation was right or wrong, recognizing how they've experienced that and communicating how they've experienced it. Right? Empathy. Really powerful. Brene Brown says that empathy, because it enters into a space, is automatically vulnerable, and vulnerability drives connection. She's well worth looking at as as an author. She's got some great stuff to say. Empathy is what connects us with people, right? It drives connection, and it overcomes that sense of objectification, right? Because it validates our experiences as individuals, Consider then the incarnation. The incarnation is the fancy theological word to describe the mystery of God becoming human in Jesus. All right? You can see the incarnation as the extreme example of empathy. Can't you? I mean did you did you hear what Heather read? Let me read the words to you again. Listen to what Jesus, how he is described. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Did you hear the language of connection and empathy? God takes our perspective in the incarnation, he walks in our shoes. He experiences our humanity. And notice that we're not objectified here. Sometimes we can treat the Bible as if it treats us all like sinners. We are sinners. That's our only function. We sin. Did you hear any of that language here? No, you didn't. What you heard was language of empathy. Children. Those who are tempted those who all their lives have been enslaved to fear. That's not language of objectification. That's not language of distance. That's language of coming near, isn't it? And did you notice when you in the Gospels how frequently Jesus encounters people and he doesn't judge them? You ever notice that? The day will come when he returns in glory to judge the quick and the dead. Then there will be judgment. But in his first coming, his first advent, Jesus doesn't judge, does he? He he listens. He engages. He encounters. People experience Jesus. There's a recognition in the incarnation of our fear and our weakness, our temptations, There's a recognition here that brings a tremendous amount of dignity to us and to our experience. That's the the incredible power of of the birth of Jesus. Because not only is this kind of some sort of empathy that we kind of, our experience is validated, but it closes the distance. It invites and drives connection with God long before we get to the cross and the resurrection, in the birth of Jesus, there is a connection, a driver of connection, that it was so important for God to connect to us that he would empathize with us. Enter in, be vulnerable, in order that we might be connected to him. And all of a sudden, I think, for us, there is a dignity that comes There there is a... uh, we We are heard at Christmas. All the prayers, all the cries of all the people through all the ages, crying out of their fear of death, crying out in the midst of their suffering and temptation, crying out in the midst of their weakness and their powerlessness, all of those are heard in the birth of Jesus. And... It saves us from the fear that our lives can be reduced to one thing because the glorious became human and it dignifies our own experiences. It dignifies our experience. It confirms that we are mysterious, divinely inspired, wonderfully complex people Whose experiences cannot be reduced to being an object to look at, cannot be reduced to buying and selling things, cannot be reduced to a dollar value. This is the dignity that is affirmed in the birth of Jesus. Do you see why minimalistic lifestyles don't seem to be getting a lot of traction? Because they don't actually address the root of our fear. A minimalist lifestyle, as good as it is, for the environment, for ourselves, for the whole kind of bit, doesn't address our fears. It just deals with the symptoms. We buy too much stuff, let's buy less stuff. And there's probably something in that. I would recommend to you the book, A Hundred Dollar Holiday, by, I think it's Bill McCubbin. He advocates for a simpler Christmas, and I think he has a, a very powerful argument. But just spending less, buying less doesn't address our fear that nonetheless our meaning has been tied up with what we buy. Jesus addresses those fears. So this Christmas, if you feel a bit used propping up the economy... If you feel that you've been objectified by some sort of system that reduces your experience to one of buying and selling, and that only yields a pervasive anxiety that you need to buy just one more thing, then the birth of Jesus is good news for you. It is news that reminds us that our experience as men and women is dignified and cannot be reduced And it invites connection. You've experienced empathy before from someone? A close friend, a family member, spouse, sibling? There is incredible connection when someone empathizes with us, isn't there? When someone really hears us, when someone really gets us, when someone understands walks with us in that, there's just so much power in that, isn't there? Jesus empathizes with you. So you do the math on what that means for your connection with God. God is not distant at Christmas. God has come near. And there's incredible power in that and freedom from Amen? It's the difference Jesus makes, because he makes a difference. I'd also advocate living a simpler lifestyle, but start with Jesus, and we'll go from there. I want to take a moment to pray for us as uh, Drew and the team come to lead us in a couple of songs uh, to conclude. For those of you who might be visiting with us uh, after I pray and during these next couple of songs, we're going to have a number of members of our staff and prayer team down the front here uh, as we do every Sunday. And it's an opportunity for you to receive prayer. So if you are particularly anxious, either this Christmas uh, or just in general, we'd love to pray a very simple prayer that God would bring peace into your life and into your heart. If there's a particular circumstance or situation that is is, uh, bringing that anxiety to the surface, we'd love to pray for you about that. Uh, But whether it's those things or whether it's anything else, big or small, do take advantage of the opportunity to receive prayer from our Heavenly Father who empathizes with us and whose son became like us, that he might fully understand all that we go through. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, at Christmas, we don't just celebrate family and friends, as wonderful as that is. We don't just uh, have a little bit of time off, as great as that is. We don't just give and receive presents, as wonderful as that can be. We actually celebrate the birth of Jesus. And in his birth, there is so much significance for us. And we know that the story ends uh, with his death and his resurrection. We know that there is still more to come. But in the birth of Jesus, we recall very significantly, very powerfully, that you are for us, that you hear us, that the distance that uh, we sometimes feel is imposed between us is, well, is overcome by the coming of Jesus. I would pray for each one of us here with the anxieties and worries that we hold, that you might bring a sense of dignity and reassurance this Christmas of your attitude for and towards us. And we ask that as we conclude our service this morning, as we worship and pray together, that you might bless what takes place. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.